helping students and healthcare professionals not just survive, but thrive with a purpose. This is the CMDA Student Pulse Podcast with your host, Bill Reichart, National Director of CMDA Campus Ministries. So welcome to another edition of CMDA Student Pulse Podcast. I'm Bill Reichert, National Director for Campus and Community Ministries here at CMDA. And my guest today is Dr. Trish Burgess. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you are too. And uh, this is a first for us to have somebody in studio. We were typically doing it over Skype, but you work here at CMDA, so I figured... Why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> let me, uh, to everyone listening and watching, uh, just let me give a brief introduction of you, Trish. Director of Global Health Outreach, GHO, which is our short-term missions ministry here at CMDA. You uh, attended the University of Georgia. Go dogs. Go dogs. That's right. <laughs> uh, achieving a bachelor's degree in chemistry and then a firefighter in Athens for two years prior to starting medical school at Medical College of Georgia. Did residency at University of Missouri in Kansas City, and you are an emergency medicine physician. And you were that for about, what, 20-some years? 23. 23 years. And then during that time, you were taking trips with GHO. Right. I started about 10 or 12 years before I quit, you know, emergency medicine to come here. That's right. And then started leading, I think, three or four years later. So then I was leading a trip a year and then going on another one. Yeah. So you've been director of now GHO how long? Five years. Five years. Wow. It's been an amazing five years. <laughs> uh, you know, context being COVID and, and so many challenges. Right, right. It's been uh, probably the most challenging time for GHO in yeah. its history. And a lot of that, of course, was an international shutdown. Mm-hmm. You know, for 14 months, we didn't go anywhere. So, you yeah. know, surviving that and just the grief of that, you mm-hmm. know, not getting to serve how we wanted to was difficult yeah. for our whole team. Right. Well, that's going to tie into what we're going to discuss because, you know, you were obedient to God's call to bring you here. It did not mean that it was easy and, and placid and it didn't have any problems. I mean, there were challenges along the way. And, and, and even backing it up, you know, God called you to be a emergency medicine physician. Right. It was a calling God placed on your heart. Let me ask you, how did you sense that calling? And, and, and was it challenging to be obedient to that call once you realized it? Right. It was actually interesting because I did not start college planning to be a chemistry major, planning pre-med at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, my dream was to be an international journalist. So I still Mm -hmm. had that desire to travel, but I liked to write. So I thought I'd be a journalist. And I actually took chemistry for non-science majors as my first elective and actually really loved it. So Mm -hmm. I thought, "Hmm, maybe I ought to switch to this. And somehow that instructor really kind of brought the medical side of things out. Mm -hmm. So by the end of my freshman year, I'd I'd switched to pre-med. And just fully felt that God was calling me to that. Mm. Not that that's an easy road at all. Right. It's very challenging. <clears throat> so I knew that I was to be a doctor. Of course, you know, a lot of us start. We don't really know mm. what field. But I'd worked as a firefighter for a couple of years okay. and really enjoyed that. So I knew about rescue mm. and EMS. I'd actually use the Jaws of Life to get someone out of a car once. Wow. Um, so I had the really cool perspective of that side. Right. And then thinking about being at the other end of that, waiting for that patient to come to the Mm -hmm. ER. So I was leaning towards that when I started medical school. I found that first year so challenging, which is Mm -hmm. when I was really prayerful about, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And Mm -hmm. just really, really reassured that, yes, I'm calling you to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And just... There's so many things about emergency medicine that fit my personality. I'm fast-paced. I like mm-hmm. to move from one thing to the next. And um, I like seeing 
all the way from newborn babies up to little old ladies. I just have always said those are my favorite patients and mm-hmm. anything in between. Yeah. I liked critical care and trauma. And I think God gifted me in that because, you know, when chaos ensues mm-hmm. and someone comes in in distress and everyone's like freaking out and pulling stuff and, and equipment and supplies and all of that, mm-hmm. I just get this calm. Mm-hmm. Like I have to have this tunnel vision to be able to concentrate and think mm-hmm. about what to do next or how to take care of them. And it's not something you can generate or create in yourself. So I think right. it's just a gifting that God gave me, which led me into that field. Yeah, it sounds like God, uh, like you said, gifted you in a manner with personality and temperament and, and, and all the things that he's you know entrusted to you to be able to function, I think, in that particular specialty in a way that I think would, you know, what is it, uh, the gentleman from uh, Chariots of Fire, you know, when I run, I feel his presence. Right. That kind of idea. When I'm, you know, you felt like, this is what I was created to do. This right. was very much why God placed you here. But then it doesn't mean, though, that it is an easy life or path. Exactly. Uh, um, even, even you know, becoming a doctor was certainly, I questioned that yeah. that first year. I think a lot of us do when we realize how hard it is, how much we're expected to memorize. And you, everyone, I think almost everyone doubts themselves a little right. bit through that. But even in your career, because you find yourself... So I'd learned emergency medicine. I was EM trained. So Mm -hmm. I had all the skills. I I knew the procedures. I had the logic. But it's not just that. And Mm -hmm. I I find it interesting. That's why they I think that's why they've always called it the art of medicine. Yes. Because you can know all the facts. But if you're not a good communicator, you're not going to be very effective. But also, I think part of our obedience is a heart matter because that's how this whole topic came up previously was that I was really looking at the obedience and what God expects Mm -hmm. of us. And he really doesn't honor our obedience if we're doing it begrudgingly. He expects us to honor him and to be obedient from Mm -hmm. our heart. Mm -hmm. And so when you put that into medicine, Mm -hmm. that's when it gets really hard because you can't just be clinical and cold and tell somebody your child's dead or, Mm -hmm. you know, see someone who's been doused in gasoline and set on fire Mm -hmm. and just clinically, you know, do your thing. Your heart is engaged. And if it's not, then you're probably not in the right field or you're not doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. So that engagement in your heart in hard things really can cause significant suffering in yeah. us. I, I grieved a lot through uh, yeah. my career. I know. You you'd shared some of that, and, I, and I'm not expecting that you'll share all those stories, but are there some particular stories that would help our listeners understand that, uh, you know, from the outside looking in, it can look like idyllic. It can look like it's charmed. You know, everything is, you know, comes together. But when you're in the middle of it, there's really, like you said, suffering in the middle of obedience. Right. People see it as, wow, what a great career. You really make a difference. You're changing lives, mm-hmm. saving lives. I'm like, but you don't see yeah. all the losses and all the grief that you have to share with somebody. Um, my first experience was really the my first year out of residency in, in my real job as an emergency room physician. It was a two-month-old baby. Mm-hmm who clearly had been abused, mm-hmm. um, and, and not just a little bit, but her entire head was covered in bruises, yellow to purple, so different mm-hmm. ages, so different time periods. She had hundreds of scratches on her arms and legs, cigarette burns, a human bite, oh. and um, just, and so I think some of that is that humans do this to other humans is what really impacts mm-hmm. you on it. But, you know, you grieve the loss of that, and, um, and she came in actually dead. We didn't even try and resuscitate Mm -hmm. her. But there are those you're trying to save. So there's that hope component to Mm -hmm. it that you're really working hard to save them and you think you might and then you don't. Mm -hmm. Or even just talking like uh, another child had died. I had to go tell the family. And, you know, I was walking down this hall towards them and we try and put them in a family Mm -hmm. room. 
but they wouldn't go in. I mean, they were mm-hmm. just so agitated and really distressed. And he had flipped his four wheeler and it landed on him. Mm-hmm. And so they knew that it was serious. And so they were freaking out as a mom, dad, and a 13 year old sister. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking towards them to tell them we had tried, but didn't resuscitate him that he was dead. And the yeah. dad just so anxious. I could just see the fear in his, in his whole expression. And he kept asking me as I'm walking toward him, is he dead? Mm-hmm. Is he dead? And I wanted to wait till we were in the room so they'd have some privacy. And But then he kept asking me, and I just felt like, how cruel is it to not answer his question mm-hmm. when I know the answer? So I nodded because I was still like 20 feet away and then just the screaming and wailing and everyone was witnessing mm-hmm. it. So it was out where people. So then I was like, you just don't know sometimes. You don't have the answers to stuff like that. God, should I have waited? You know, mm-hmm. just those things you question yourself. And I really found myself, you know, in the time you really have to focus on what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So you're able to push that aside, focus on what you're doing. I think when I, it really came to a head was just a few years ago when I had a woman who had a big cancer in her neck and was beyond treatment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they die because mm-hmm. it erodes into a major blood vessel and they bleed out. And she had come in with an episode of bleeding that had stopped. And mm-hmm. EMS were like, it's a lot of blood, you know, and they were still in the room. And so I was talking to her about what she wanted done. Do you want resuscitation? Do you want to be intubated? Do you want CPR? All those things we have to know. And she didn't want any of that done. She knew mm-hmm. it was too late, you know, yeah. that it was too progressed. And then she started bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. And so, you know, I'm, I'm reassuring her, put my hand on her back, so letting her know we're with her. Um, we're holding a bucket for her, trying to get her hair out of the way. It's just pouring out until she passes out. And then she died, gosh, probably in a couple minutes. And we're all just standing there yeah. because we weren't doing anything. Yeah. You know, you didn't have that push that aside. I'm going to focus on what we need to get done. You're letting it happen. So it was that first time I realized what we go through, because I guess I saw the shock and the fear and the what just happened on my nurses, on mm-hmm. the EMS crew. And so I, I prompted me to start an EMS Bible study. Mm. And at that time, too, studies were coming out about how much we suffer from PTSD. Yeah. You know, I think probably police are the worst because they see the stuff that they don't even get to see in the ER. So our obedience, if we're, if we're heart engaged mm-hmm. in it, I think a lot of times we'll cause some suffering because mm-hmm. we're seen with the compassion of Christ. Yes. And I think it's, you know, a, a sense of obedience to that calling gives you the ability to persevere in the middle of that suffering. I mean, to hold tightly to the idea that you were called to do this, to be here at this moment. And God has a plan and purpose for you you as the physician in this moment with these patients. And it it probably keeps you going. That's a lot of it. And I couldn't do it. I mean, I begged God at one time mm. to let me stop. Like, yeah. I just can't take this. And he was like, you are absolutely where I want you to be. I mean, <laughs> he really, over a couple month period, he just reaffirmed that mm. I have you. I knew you weren't going to be perfect at it. Right. But I have you right where I want you. Yes. You're doing exactly what you want. And the hard part with all of those is, is at the time you're busy and you have patients, other things going on. So you can't just like wallow in it. You can't just lay, sit there and grieve and cry with them because you've got to move on. Mm-hmm. So then we go home and try and act like we're normal lives and play with your kids and mm-hmm. cook dinner and all the time, all this is on you. So I found most of the time my fellowship of suffering was Christ mm-hmm. with Christ was at night. Mm-hmm. Like I could just, I'd cry myself to sleep or I just lay there and just, mm-hmm. just pray and, and just pray for the family or mm-hmm. pray for whatever it was. And just really feel like I needed him there with me. And so I really understood the beauty mm-hmm. of our suffering in that his presence is there with you. Like, I think because it's dark and it's quiet and no one else is around, but yeah. you just really feel the presence mm-hmm. of fellowship in that suffering. And 
people don't want to see the beauty of that. They mm. want to just skip past the suffering and go on to recovery mode. I want to touch on that. And we're going to expand on that in just a minute. But I, there was a story you told about the older couple. Mm-hmm. Tell us that story because I think it's going to then dovetail into what you just said. And, yeah, that was that was part of uh, reflecting on that, mm-hmm. doing this, preparing this this chapel talk was what made me really kind of yeah. finally tie all this together, and that happened years ago. But so there was an elderly couple. They had had this big family reunion sort of dinner for the holidays. Mm-hmm. And they had all, I mean, all the kids, grandkids, all age ranges were there. But they were all leaving at the end of it, and most people had parked across the street, but they had parked this couple on a side street. Mm-hmm. So they were alone and crossing the street together, the two of them, and they got hit by a car. Mm-hmm. And so they both came in as traumas. I took care of the gentleman, and then one of my partners took care of his wife. Well, his wife didn't survive very quickly. She was pronounced dead. Um, and he was walking, or he wasn't walking, but he was talking and communicating and not critically ill. He had some, probably had some significant injuries, but I needed to get testing done on him. I needed to get CAT scans and x-rays and those sorts of things. So I chose not to tell him right away so that he could go lay still for these scans, and, and I, I thought we'd wait till he got back. So I went into the family room and talked with a family, and they were a lot. They were like 15 because they'd all been at this reunion. So there was yeah. a whole gamut of family in there, this little tiny room. And um, so I'm talking with the family, and there were siblings together. So I think these were I don't know, kids, and then the grandkids were there. But one of them in particular it actually was a daughter-in-law, mm-hmm. um, but she seemed to dominate. Mm-hmm. Like she wanted to manage and control the whole situation for the whole family, which was an odd person in the group. But, mm-hmm. you know, they were all letting her. So, mm-hmm. But anyway, they, she insisted that they all be in there when I told them, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. I encourage family to be there for each other. Um, so he gets back from a scan. So I went and told the family that I was ready to go in there. And he's laying in the stretcher. And, I mean, you have to know something's up if your entire family comes in <laughs> with the doctor. So I stood by his bed, like right next to him, hand on his shoulder, and told him that I needed to talk to him about his wife because he'd been asking about her a few times, and I'd been stalling it. And he just could tell by the expression on my face and just started to cry. And I said, I'm so sorry, but your wife died. She didn't make it. And he said, it was so sad. He said, I just lost the love of my life. Mm-hmm. So I was just letting him cry, and the alpha woman, I called her the the daughter-in-law, she just shouldered me out of the way Mm. and was like, Daddy, it's going to be fine. It's going to be just fine. Everything's fine. It's going to be fine. I saw Mama. She looked fine. And we all looked at her like, you mean the one I just told him was dead? And she realized what she'd said, and she said, she's in a better place. It's going to be fine. So she immediately... You know, here he just found out the love of his life had died, Mm -hmm. but she was already ready to skip through all the suffering and just Mm -hmm. go right to everything's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a suffering servant. We have a man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief, who sits with us, who's willing to sit with us in the middle of that pain and suffering. And yet there's this tendency or temptation to want to short circuit that, Mm -hmm. to kind of shortcut that. Right. I, I just need to get to the other side of that because it's just too hard and we cheat ourselves don't we by not allowing ourselves to to process that suffering and to and to draw closer to Christ in the middle of that suffering. Right, right. I think I just say all the time to people there is such beauty. Some of these moments are absolutely precious. And if you just bypass all of that, mm-hmm. um, you lose mm-hmm. your chance to fellowship. I mean, I think our true fellowship in suffering is the way we really connect to Christ, mm-hmm. because we all, at one point in our lives, are going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, life isn't always happy and good, and if you want to just skip that, you won't really truly experience the fellowship of Christ, mm-hmm. but also you won't really appreciate 
the resurrection, you know, and the redemption. Right. Aren't we glad that Christ did not? I mean, he was he was pleading to the Father, take mm -hmm. this cup if it be your will. Right. But we're glad that he did not skip the suffering. He endured it. He went faithfully to the cross. Right. Um, and the other thing I think that's just amazing about our God is not that just he wants to be there with us. He wants mm -hmm. to fellowship with us in yeah. our suffering. But he calls us to do that for him. Mm -hmm. He calls us to remember, to do it in remembrance, which isn't even just remembering, but mm -hmm. to be reliving what he went through for us. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like there's a God who's so close to us, to humans, because he became one, mm -hmm. that not only does he want to be there for us to serve, but he wants us to remember that mm -hmm. and be there with him mm -hmm. as he suffered that. We get to be a part of that, even though it's thousands of years later. Yeah. And I think people are so afraid. Our culture is just so afraid of pain, mm -hmm. of suffering, that yeah. we just try and skip it. But in the end, I probably a lot of that is our mental health issues too. Yeah. You're, you're eventually it's going to catch up to you. You can't right. just bypass it. Yeah. No, that's very true. Well, talk a little bit. I, I, I know in the chapel message you, you went into a lot of detail, but let's just even point our focus towards Christ himself and, and the suffering that he went through on his way to the cross. Can you talk a little bit about that as it relates to, you know, understanding just the depth of suffering and, and what even Jesus himself endured? I was speaking at a Good Friday service in church years ago, mm -hmm. and I've elaborated on it over the years as I've studied the Bible more. Mm -hmm. So, ah, and I put this in there too. But what Jesus went through for us mm -hmm. was just so, so much more difficult than we can imagine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it just starts with the whole emotional side of it. And I think we're, we tend to... Um, kind of blow off some of the things that are mild, but, you know, so he had the Last Supper. Right. He knows what's coming. Right. And I'm sure, can you imagine enjoying that meal? I mean, it probably was not fun at all. And he's having to talk about who's going to betray him, right. you know, so he's brokenhearted. Yep. And then he's up all night praying. Mm -hmm. And have you ever had a sleepless night? It's a long, it's miserable night. I mean, we tend to blow that off, but that's that's a lot, mm -hmm. you know, just to have endured that. And then just the angst and that he sweated so much. He sweat so blood. blood in his in his sweat pores, yep. um, hematidrosis. I mean, it's a medical term. I've never seen it. So uh, You mentioned that that created even a condition of sensitivity in yes, his skin. So yes. now he's, he's about to get flogged, and there's all that coming up yet. And he's made himself even more vulnerable. Exactly. It, it makes your skin more sensitive. Right. Um, and then, you know, it's not just a whip, but, you know, there's all these, you know, leather straps and, right. and stones or metal or bone mm -hmm. that are ripping and tearing through mm -hmm. skin. But you then every blow I actually saw a patient when I was in Turkey mm. who um, he wasn't a patient. He was actually part of the church, but he had been flogged. Mm. He had 39 times. And um, I saw the scarring on his back as he that he had healed because mm. he showed he had chronic back pain. I think some of it was probably psychological because it's like just mm. but the scarring was amazing how much there was, you know, as it tears deeper and deeper into the muscles right. and the bigger blood vessels. And then, you know, and then just think about the scalp and, you know, those thorns are like an inch or two long. He's digging into your scalp and being yep. beat on the head. And, you know, it talks about even his beard was pulled off mm -hmm. his face, like mm -hmm. just like in, in Isaiah describes that you couldn't even recognize him as a human by right. the end. And now we don't know for sure because that's prophecy exactly how much, you know, he was flogged, but it had to be particularly harsh given that he couldn't even make it to Golgotha carrying his own right. patabolum. He mm -hmm. just couldn't even carry it. So, you know, he had to have help with that, mm -hmm. which tells you it was probably particularly harsh. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think we could probably include this in the show notes. There's, there's an article out there, I think a JAMA article that talked about 
the intensity right. of that that yeah. we could probably put in there mm -hmm. or any other resources that you think. Right. I mean, I have my document I'm happy to share with anyone okay. that really describes the physical suffering in the okay. end. Of course, crucifixion is a death by suffocation because they yeah. just can't exhale enough to take another deep breath. So mm -hmm. they end up. Um, and actually, another ER um, story about that is I actually had a patient mm -hmm. who came in the ER one night, really short of breath. Like mm -hmm. he was sweating. He was anxious. He was breathing really fast. And he said he'd been up all night smoking a crack pipe. This is like a 30-something-year-old, otherwise should have been healthy guy. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, maybe he collapsed along, you know, inhaling the heat or whatever. But I got an x-ray and he hadn't. So then I didn't know what to do with him. I was like, wow, that's odd. I don't know. This doesn't really fit anything. Mm. But he had a little bit of a haze over one side of his chest and his in the whole left lung, which didn't make sense with the story he had told me. But I didn't know. I, there wasn't anything else to do. He was, his oxygen saturations were really low. Mm. So we just usually intubate them. Mm. And once you, you put a tube down, breathe for them, bagging them, you know, and you put them out, basically they go to sleep. Mm. Um, everything calms down. It gives you mm. time to figure it out. But we could not bag him hard enough and fast enough to get his oxygen up. So there's something wrong with this guy. I don't know what it is. I did another x-ray. still couldn't see any better. still just this hazy left lung. So I finally said, I'm just going to have to put a tube in this side and see if there's something there I can drain. Yeah. So I cut a side in his chest wall to put a big tube in it to drain it and blood tinged water poured out like a waterfall. I mean, there were like three or four nurses watching in the room and we all jumped back. I mean, it, it was gully washer coming out. Oh, goodness. And my thought was, that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. He had this huge pleural effusion, my patient, yeah. which is what you get. And when they pierce the side, that's what yeah. happens. So it was just like, oh, my gosh, this is what Jesus did on the cross. <laughs> so it's just one of those moments where, oh, yeah. wow, what yeah. he went through for us. Wow. Well, I appreciate you uh, being transparent and just honest about uh, the, the challenges and the suffering that you've gone through. I think it's good for the listeners, many of whom are students, to kind of hear kind of some real life stories. I don't, I can't, I, I have not gone to medical school, so I don't know all that's communicated, but I trust, maybe you can correct me, or, you know, do they get a realistic assessment as you've really shown it as that this is going to be a difficult profession. There's going to be suffering, even as one's called. I think it's one of those things that I don't feel like I had any warning, but I don't know that you can really teach it. Yeah. But there's so many different situations you can be put in. Yeah. But it's really the emotional impact of it and trying to be there, mm -hmm. not just clinically to help them medically, but to be an encourager, a supporter, mm -hmm. grieve with them. You let them know people care about yeah. what they're going through and that we're not just cold fish in there, you know, like robots, yeah. um, but that we have care and compassion. And if you're going to represent Christ through your life and mm -hmm. through um, your work, your heart has to be in your ministry too. Mm -hmm. It can't just be a cold calculated I know what to do in this situation, mm -hmm. but you really have to engage mm -hmm. with your patients and the patient families to be the light of Christ yes. in a really dark, hard world. And yeah. the emergency departments are very secular, mm -hmm. and so it's it can be a very dark world. But being the light mm -hmm. is what we want, we're required to do, and that's obedience. Yeah. Amen. That's a great encouragement. Let me leave you with the last word. You know, maybe there are folks who are going through some personal suffering even now. It could be physical, it could be mental suffering, emotional, it could be relational suffering in some form or mm -hmm. another. It happens in so many different forms. What would you, what kind of encouragement or exhortation would you give someone listening as they're going through this, a time of pain and suffering? Whenever I've been through that, you know, I've had, of course, my own personal, you know, mm -hmm. we all have personal worries and concerns, um, not just my work, but I really focus on, focuses on Jesus. Like mm -hmm. I really just spend time with him. I mean, I just pray. And my favorite prayer is the one word prayer of Father. And I just open my heart to mm -hmm. 
you know, cry if I feel like or whatever, but I just really want him to feel what I'm feeling, mm-hmm. to fellowship with him that mm-hmm. way. And it will be amazing how you feel his presence. And then bringing the body of Christ around you. That's a key. I you know, do. helping each other through, especially yep. medical students, residents. Yep. Help each other, especially if you know someone's been through a really traumatic patient encounter. Mm-hmm. Just be there for them. Let them listen and cry and, and talk mm-hmm. about it and just, you know, encourage each other. Yeah, we too often underplay community. We're, we're, we can be so isolated. And and, um, and doctors especially, you know, because we're all really independently. We're not working together. We're working side by side. Right. So there's a big difference. And then, you know, if you feel like you've made an error at all, mm-hmm. which I've been through that too, mm-hmm. I'm really suffered feeling like it was my fault. Someone, you know, didn't survive or whatever it is that you might think you might have done. You know, you're told not to speak to anyone about it. You ha- mm-hmm. And so then you feel like you're going right. to implode. But you've got to have those people around you, you know, other Christians, which is why mm-hmm. I, I even opened up myself to talk about this in chapel is because I want people to understand how important CMD mm-hmm. is. It will give you that community. Bill works really hard to do that, but it gives you that community of mm-hmm. believers that can really understand you're not just clinically upset about mm-hmm. what happened, but your heart is engaged mm-hmm. in the suffering of what you're seeing. So this is great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, actually, one more thing, because <laughs> I, I, uh, I mean, it's going to be a hard left term, but you're here. You've got students listening and watching. Uh, GHO, let's just give you an opportunity to, to say maybe a couple words about that and how uh, students can get involved and what opportunities and, and resources are available for students. Yeah, student we love – I mean, one of my heart cries for GHO mm-hmm. is we – really, really want to pour into the next generation Mm -hmm. of healthcare professionals. So we want to be there to mentor you. So we encourage students of all levels. Undergraduates can join us, but especially first year, because you have a little bit of time, spring break or in the summer, you can come all the way up to fourth year's residence. Um, We encourage you to go on a mission trip. It's a great way to set yourself aside for Mm -hmm. that week or so to really focus on your relationship with the Lord and how that ties into your career. Um, It gives you a chance to work with doctors who have been there, watch how they transition from talking to someone about Mm -hmm. their physical health into their spiritual health and how they can move forward, or if they don't know Christ, how they Mm -hmm. can share with them. So it helps you learn more about making your career a ministry Mm -hmm. as well. But you also get lots of exposure. You get to shadow. You get to do Mm -hmm. work in different areas of the clinic. You get to meet people around the world that are believers. I mean, it's a sanctifying work. I often say not only are you bringing comfort to the afflicted, but these trips afflict the comfortable, which is often ourselves, exactly. and, it, and it stretches us, and, it, and, it, and God uses it in, in transforming our lives. Right, and these trips, I think the reason healthcare is so different and why these trips are so effective is because if I sit down with a patient, I have an immediate, mm. close, personal relationship. They're yeah. going to trust me with their most deepest worries about their bodies and things that they'd be ashamed and embarrassed to talk to anyone else about, would never say to anyone else. Mm -hmm. But because you're a physician trying to help them, you immediately have a connection that there's no other way to get, especially cross-culture, cross-language, all those things. There's this connection that you get just because of who you are and Mm -hmm. what you do, that the Lord has gifted Mm -hmm. you with that for a purpose. Fantastic. We're going to put links in the show notes. Uh, You can see trips. We didn't mention this, but there's tons of scholarship money. There's really no yeah, reason not really to get Yeah, we have really good scholarships that give half off. So we really, and we encourage mm-hmm. all our students to get those. So Yeah. So no no reason not to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think they would love it. <laughs> I think they would too. Thanks again, Trish, for, for being a part of the uh, podcast and for, again, sharing your own stories and, and the work you do here with GHO. Well, yeah. thank you. It's, it really is a joy.
this is the time of the podcast where we tell you some things that you need to know. First of all, we want to make you aware of the Global Missions Health Conference. Now, if you've not had a chance to be at this conference, it's in Louisville, Kentucky, and this year it's going to be November 9th through the 11th. This is the biggest medical missions venue that there is. You will have an opportunity to not only get great content, breakouts, and information, but the exhibitors are just far and wide. Uh, hundreds, I think, of exhibitors that will allow you to see and experience and understand opportunities in which you might be called to serve. And so Global Missions Health Conference is a must-do if you are thinking about medical missions, or maybe not, but it would be an encouragement to kind of discover what God is doing all across the world through healthcare. So check it out. It's at medicalmissions.com. It's the website. We'll put the link in the show notes, medicalmissions.com, November 9th through the 11th. It's the Global Missions Health Conference. Also, another thing we just want you to know is as you are going through your training time with CMDA, that you want to make sure that on your smartphone, you have the CMDA Student Life app, and it can be easily found on the Google Play Store or on the App Store. Just simply search CMDA Student Life, download it, set up a profile, and there's a lot of great information, resources, Bible studies, tools. This podcast shows up. Our video podcast does as well, and uh, it is just chock full of great resources that will be there right at your fingertips. And as always, you can find us on the socials. We use the handle CMDA Student Life on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and those are great uh, platforms to be able to get the latest and greatest information and information about what's going on throughout CMDA. So check those out, like, follow, do whatever it takes, and uh, get connected with us on our socials. Well, as always, if you need to reach out to us, you can do so at ccm at cmda.org. We look forward to hearing from you. If you've got some suggestions on what might be a great idea for our future podcast, we'd love to hear about it. And again, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. And again, we have our podcast notes online, and you can check those out as well on cmdastudentlife.org and go to our podcast page and you'll get those latest podcast notes from every episode. Well, thank you for joining us on this latest episode of CMDA Student Pulse Podcast and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. CMDA's Student Pulse Podcast is a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the organization. CMDA is non-partisan and does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on Student Pulse Podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members.